0: This is Beyond the Surface, a storytelling podcast that invites you to pause your life, suspend your judgments, and step into someone else's shoes. We all have a story. What's yours? We'd like to warn everyone that there may be some explicit language and possible triggers. So if you feel anything that's uncomfortable, please just step away and take care of
1: yourself. I'm Laura and I'm Kat. This is episode two of Beyond the Surface.
0: Becca, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, glad to be here.
1: I'm so excited that you're going to share your story with us. I think it'll help people.
0: It's a podcast. I can't see you nodding. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to say something else. I okay. have nothing to say to that. Oh, okay. Oh, well, Okay, here we go. So can you guys tell us just a little bit about you right now, where you're at in life currently?
1: Not literally in the closet, but like where you're at feeling. No
2: one's supposed to know
0: we're in a closet again. We're big time people now, man. We're on
2: Apple. We, well, I'm Becca. I'm currently sitting in a really top-notch recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm twenty-four. I'm a social worker. I have a baby. Lana, she's nine months old now And she's hmm. the cutest thing in the world She is and it's not even one of those things Where like I'm just saying it Because I'm her mom She's <laughs> actually the cutest I have people backing that up That's
0: like my mom used to do it with me Whenever I had like literally a black tooth She'd be like you're still so beautiful And I'm like mom a I seriously tooth? had a black tooth Yeah cause I busted my tooth when I was little <laughs> I tripped Why would it turn of black? I guess I got rotted <laughs>
2: Because you said black tooth as if everyone had experienced a black tooth. So your mom probably kept telling you that you were beautiful because she neglected to bring you to the dentist. <laughs> no, they couldn't do anything.
0: It was a baby tooth. Oh,
2: anyway, okay. Becca,
0: you think your daughter is beautiful.
2: I don't think. I know. <laughs> okay, so what got you into
0: social work?
2: Um... Well, my dad, we started volunteering together when I was really young. Uh, We actually volunteered with what is called the Good News Gang, which is a church out in Detroit where they would, they get like buses, like school buses, and drive out to different parts of Detroit and actually pick kids up to take them to church and field trips and activities because a lot of what keep, is keeping those kids from church and these different activities that they could benefit from is the transportation. So my dad was the bus driver mm. every, every single Saturday. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, every single Saturday. So my brother and I rode the bus with him all over Detroit picking up kids. And so that from that age, I knew, well, I want to work with people. At that time, I was like, well, I really want to help poor people. You know, I was eight mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. And then in eighth grade, I took one of those tests that tells you what you should be. Mm-hmm. And the first result was a social worker. And wow. I didn't know what that was. And then when I realized what that was, I was like, oh, well, this is what I wanted to be. I just didn't know that there was an actual oh, word so for cool. it. So since eighth grade, I, w- I told myself I'm going to be a social worker. And I did exactly that. Wow. That's cool. I think in
0: eighth grade, I wanted to be, like, um, a musician or something really yeah. artistic, and I was never successfully able to do
1: that. I think when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to be an 11th. <laughs> an 11th grader? <laughs> yeah. Dude, eighth 11th? grade sucked. That was the worst year. Yeah, seriously. that's why I was like, I just, I want to be in high school. I hate yeah. this. Eighth grade was definitely a trying
0: time for me as well, like, trying to figure out, like, what am I doing on this planet? And, like,
1: why do I look so awkward? And why do I have so many zits on my forehead? And why
2: are girls so mean? Oh. And, yeah, I don't think I had zits on my forehead in eighth grade. Though. I did. I got bangs to cover the zits. And then I came home and my dad was like, did you get bangs to cover your zits? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Called you out. Yeah, it's was like, no, dad. But <laughs> didn't the
1: oil in your hair make the zits worse?
2: I don't know. I was in eighth grade and couldn't – wasn't thinking of the science I was just thinking I don't want my zits to show. That's a 33-year-old and me. Yeah, <laughs>
1: seriously. Like, hmm, I wonder what the sweat molecules.
0: <laughs> so, what do you what do you think people when they first see you? What do you think their first impression of you is?
2: I try to come off as friendly, but I definitely think I've got the rusting bitch face going. i mm-hmm. I've heard a lot that I seem intimidating at first, but as soon as I start actually talking, then, oh, I'm so friendly. Oh, I really reach out to people. So I try to do that, and I think I kind of balance the resting bitch face with my personality of really being eager to reach out to new people. I'm the person in the workplace that always is trying to make the new people feel welcome. So I do try to balance it, and I hope that people think of me as a really friendly person. Mm -hmm.
1: Do you think that there's anything about you that people would judge you on without really knowing you? I don't know if that makes any sense. I think it makes sense. Like, Like like if i looked at you and i was like wow that person looks really put together they drives like, a tiffany like blue really bug great. yeah,
2: yeah. Then, like- i think i think things like that i i was in a sorority i do drive a tiffany blue bug so i feel like people think that like oh she has money because she was in a sorority who that are historically expensive and i drive the beetle and i have this look but that's not really the case i make it work like i'm at the i'm at the end of my means every single paycheck but i I accomplish every single thing that I want to do Mm -hmm. because I work really hard to do those things. And that started in college when my sorority dues were due. I worked the exact amount of hours that I needed to work to make sure that I paid my dues. And, I mean, that's kind of continued with me. I will get second and third jobs. Like, I will find the most random things. I've done Uber. I will do trivia. I have done Shipped. All of these different things that kind of – let me have the things that I want, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but that also makes me realize, or I guess it shows that I'm not just the person that came from money, and I'm not just this person that just gets everything handed to them. I really do work for those things. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, for sure.
2: Would you say that
0: you're a person that did come from money, Um, or those were the values that your parents put in you? Like, where do you think that comes from?
2: I think, I think that my parents have a healthy balance. Um, I would definitely say that my dad's side of the family is upper middle class, but at the same time, I never got the extra things when I was growing up. I got what I needed, you know, and then even continuing, I don't get, I'm 24. Um, I don't get parental help anymore. Um, I haven't since I left the house at 17. So all of my bills have kind of been on my own, but it was the same way for my parents. And I think I do get that from my dad of that working hard. He joined the military when I was born and then he finished college. Then he got his master's degree. Then he got his law degree and now he's working on his PhD. So it's kind of been this continuous thing of never settling even though he now has seven kids and he still is constantly pursuing these Mm -hmm. dreams of his and I think that's the same thing for me I don't ever see I don't ever see my child as something that hinders me it's just something that continues to motivate me and Mm -hmm. I think that he was the same way
1: that's really cool it's a powerful
2: connection what when
0: you say you don't see your child as hindering you what where did that just come from
2: because I think a lot of people, when they have um, a child, they think, well, you know, I, I was going to get my master's degree, but then I had kids. Or mm-hmm. I was going to travel, but then I had kids. Mm-hmm. And it just, it I don't know, that gets to me because it's looking at your children as a hindrance when really, like, in my mind, like, I can't wait to travel with my child. I can't wait to get a master's degree to show my child, like. I really worked hard while she was young. You know, those things that people let slip behind them because their child got in the way. And I just don't think that that's really fair um, because she's the best thing about my whole life, you know, and I don't Mm -hmm. think that she will ever be a hindrance for me if it might be harder to get my master's degree, Mm -hmm. but easier in the sense that I have a bigger motivation to do it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so you see your child as a motivation to keep going and keep growing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I had, I'm 24. I got pregnant when I was 23. And even though I had, you know, I had my bachelor's degree and I had my full time job. So I felt like I was in a place where, okay, I can do this, but I, you know, I'm not married. I wasn't in an exactly healthy relationship at that time. Um, and there was still a lot of, well, I'm not in this perfect place. I don't know how to handle my money the, you know, greatest way. I don't know where I'm going to come up with these things to pay for daycare and mm-hmm. all these costs. So it was scary, but she, you know, the minute that she was born, I knew that there was nothing else that was more important than mm-hmm. her and just including her in my life journey. Do you
0: feel like you had – the same kind of relationship that you have with Lana, with your parents?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, my relationship with my dad is very close. We, you know, he's he's my closest friend probably. Um, my mom has just been a little rocky. I mean, she also had me really young at 21, but she was married. Uh, and I just don't think that she really had the parental guidance that showed her how to be, you know, the best mother. She was winging it. Um And with what she had, she did an amazing job. Uh, But our values are definitely different, and so that leads my parenting style to be a lot different than her. Um, She actually has just moved back from the West Coast to stay with me because she wanted to be in Lana's life more. And she's been a huge help. Like, I appreciate her so much. But we are having those, like, conflicts of parenting styles and, Mm -hmm. you know, coming up with a lot of the things that really stuck with me when I was growing up, I can see the same things, like, that she does with Lana. And, and that's kind of tripping me up. Like, how do I tell my mom, no, don't do that, when she's like, well, you turned out fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's definitely a challenging course. But at the same time, her help is, outweighs that because all, she's, all she wanted to be was a mom. And now all she wants to be is a grandma.
0: What are those things that she's doing
2: that uh, Just like, conflict with? I think that a lot of older generations are this way. Like the whole don't yell at your kids, um, the difference between, oh, I can't speak my child and, you know, that Bible verse that's whatever it is. I don't
0: know a Bible verse. Um, <laughs> I haven't, I'm not
2: really you know well scripted. I'm I'm we all
1: grew up in Christian Catholic families and none of us
2: know what the verse is. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Oh, um, and, yeah. and that's a big thing because I was spanked and I absolutely do not want to spank my child at all. And I mean a lot of the things that I want to do with my kid are like evidence-based. Mm-hmm. You know, spanking your child actually does lead to long-lasting trauma. And But then you have my parents saying, oh, well, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You're fine. But then you think about, well, why do I have this generalized anxiety that I've had? since i was a child and i'm like is it because that is it because you spanked me and i didn't know when i was going to get spanked or grounded mm,
0: do you think that's what it's from
2: i don't know it's just something that you have to think about like saying oh well you turned out fine isn't really fair to say when you really haven't looked at any of the issues that a person has mm. or tried to see where they come from
1: for sure yeah i can totally understand that
2: and then just just really little things like saying no I Mm. try to say, no, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. And I'll catch her, no, no, yelling. And that, like, oh, it, like, triggers me a little bit. Like, I'm hearing her in the back of my mind yelling at me when I was a kid. Mm. Um, And that that gets to me. So I'm trying my best to be like, hey, mom, we're really trying to say no, thank you. Put it in a way where I'm not getting upset with her. But at some point, I know I'm going to be like, you have to stop. Right. Were
0: you disciplined, Laura, as like a kid?
1: Oh yeah. Beyond. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's always like
0: a it is like a hot topic because like from being from the South, you know, like spanking your kid was totally normalized.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Um I mean, that was normal here too. Well, I mean,
0: even, but even in schools. I mean, Mm -hmm. it wasn't
1: even just spank. Like, I got the belt. Oh, I got the belt. I got the sandal.
0: Oh, I got something called the razor strap, which was three different pieces of leather.
1: I don't okay, that is that. definitely a Texas
0: thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a very abnormal thing. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a different story for a different time. <laughs> yeah. But um, I—it's uh, a good turn. No, yeah, but I, it's just—it's interesting to see how, like, when we're young, and we we like tell ourselves, "I'm not going to do this." When I'm a parent, but our parents mm-hmm. are like, "When you have children, you're going to know what that feels mm-hmm. like, and you're going to do it too," or whatever they mm-hmm. say. And now you are in this position where you're able to make completely different decisions because you don't necessarily have a concrete answer like this made me like this, but you have that feeling you just said, which Mm -hmm. was triggered, which is possibly anxiety now from it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think also like our, our parents grew up in that generation that like their parents grew up in, like it's all very similar, like now... We there is a lot of evidence based, mm-hmm. you know, research that's been done where we have the chance and people who have grown up with the internet being around have the chance to really
2: explore how to
1: raise their kids the way they want to without having to do it, you know, their their parents way or their grandparents' way.
2: I think in the same way that all this uh, education and research is causing benefit, it also on the flip side causes a negative of mom shaming, Mm -hmm. which is also a huge hot topic and – when you have all this research that says, oh, do this and don't do that, do this and don't do that, and we have the social media platform, it's a completely different way of telling someone you're not being a good parent. Mm. And it's it's the littlest things. I was on Facebook, and this person posted about how you can't let your baby wear shoes when they're learning to walk. And something as little as that, she was like, you know, say it again for the people in the back, like really trying to call out the people that may have their babies wearing shoes. And I can guarantee you, moms 20 years ago were putting the cute little shoes on their babies for the simple fact that it's cute, not thinking, oh, this is going to stunt their development. Mm -hmm. And I think things like that, yeah, we really did turn out okay we're all walking fine so it's weird when you have to like draw that line of is this too much like am I going too far or is this really what's best for my child Mm -hmm. do you feel like you've experienced mom shaming oh a lot yeah um I had a lot of difficulty breastfeeding in the beginning um just with latching issues because um she, I was induced and my milk didn't come in right away. So I did what I thought was the next best thing, which was pumping exclusively. I was pumping three hours a day or every three hours, um, waking up every three hours during the night to pump for 20 to 30 minutes. Oh my gosh. And I did this for six months exclusively. Oh. And I experienced a lot of postpartum depression during my daughter's first six months of life and it came to a point where it once once her dad and I um, started doing joint custody and I had her half the time I was trying to keep up the supply for when she was with me and when she wasn't with me and since I was seeing her only half the time the stress of having to pump three every three hours and still try to spend quality time with my daughter was so overwhelming for me that I finally realized, like, I have to stop this because I'm not being the best mom that I can. Mm-hmm. I'm supposedly doing the best, but I don't feel the best, and I don't feel like my daughter is really getting the best of me. So once I decided, like, I'm stopping, I'm done with this, I did six months, I did all that I could, just, like, a weight lifted off of me. But then I came with, well, you already did with it six months, you couldn't do it for six more, or... Mm. Well, why can't you – or did you go to a lactation con, consultant or did you take these supplements and all these things? And it's like whether or not I did that, I made the best decision for me and my daughter. Mm-hmm. And and it just that was the first thing. It, there's so many more things that people just want to complain about and want to make you feel like you're not doing the best that you can when in reality I'm doing – all that I can and I'm still not feeling like I'm doing enough because of what other people are saying with you know the postpartum depression also getting after me
1: Mm. is there any advice you would give other moms or moms to be or even dads or dads to be or anyone out there regarding uh shaming parent shaming mom shaming dad shaming
2: um well I mean the simple thing is don't do it but more than that I think that when you're trying to educate someone that can be helpful like it would have been that was helpful for me to know oh I shouldn't put shoes on my baby great good to know But when you attach it with a sense of shame, that's when you become more of a hurt than a help. Um, And that when people are already dealing with so much postpartum depression in this age, like we are talking about it more, but we're not talking about our personal experiences more. We're just saying, hey, look out for it, rather than saying, hey, I have it. Um, The mommy shaming can really be detrimental to someone who's already experiencing their own guilt that comes from that mental illness.
0: Actually, so speaking to postpartum depression, did you experience any shame regarding that? Because I know that's like a really hot issue that some women like feel really guilty about having postpartum depression or even what that involves. So, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that?
2: Sure. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I knew that I had postpartum depression for a while uh, because I was okay uh, in the in the- fact that I could still take care of my child and I could still enjoy times with my child. But it was uh, a lot of personal guilt that I was having during that time. Uh, I didn't feel like I was a good mother. I often felt like Lana would do better if she had a different mother. Uh, And then that accompanied with me, if my daughter would cry and I would get frustrated at that, that would translate to you're not being a very good mother because how can you be frustrated at your daughter crying when Mm. she's just a baby and so then I felt like well I shouldn't even I shouldn't even spend time with her because all I do is get frustrated and so then it turned with me kind of retreating from her and in this important like first six months of her life and uh, the only questionnaire that I really got about it was at the pediatrician's office and they hand you a piece of paper and it has a list of questions in it, and then they tally it. But I was in the pediatrician appointment with my daughter's dad and I didn't really want to admit any of these things on the paper mm-hmm. because I didn't – I was like, well, that only happens once in a while. You know, it wasn't, Mm. but this doesn't happen all the time. So I would say no. Yeah. And then, and she kind of looked at it and she was like, well, you're kind of on the edge of it. And I Mm. was like, okay. And that was it. That was the end of conversation. There was no, maybe you should get help. Maybe you should, Mm. we should further explore that. And plus we're at a pediatrician appointment and that's for my daughter. That's not for me. It's not my doctor. So then uh, my daughter's dad actually was the one. After, you know, a couple months, he said, hey, I think that you need to get help because you're not you. And he kind of phrased it in a way of you are the most confident person that I know. And to see you question yourself like you have been is really different. And even if it's not postpartum depression, it's something. Because mm-hmm. the person that you are is not who you are right now. And so he did, He was very nice and supportive in this way where he actually reached out to one of our friends who is a social worker and got a list of resources for me and sent and I got connected to a really great therapist and I took her questionnaire, which was about a hundred more questions, and she said, Oh, well yeah, you have a really high case of postpartum depression. Oh wow. Yeah. So what turned in, well you're kind of on the edge resulted in actually mm-hmm. oh you're one of the highest cases i've seen are i you- can't
0: believe that they just like kind of let that go yeah whatever. how many
1: women are going through
2: yeah. this and, and
0: not
1: being taken like seriously i don't know if that's the right word but like yeah
0: but even like how you were saying like that was affecting you which affected your daughter because you mm-hmm. were retreating from her thinking about the women who maybe don't have access or then parents who don't have access to those resources or that friend that's a social worker Who's just sitting in this sadness yeah. and this, like, ugh,
1: yeah, and gosh. then possibly being told by, you know, someone that they're on the cusp of, you know, depression,
2: but you're not quite you there know, yet. <laughs> yeah. And then,
1: like, a day later, if they had actually gotten to someone else, right, said to them, You're like, you're in kind of a bad shape.
2: Yeah. You know? and, and I mean, hearing, hearing that you have a really bad case of postpartum depression was actually kind of relieving for me Mm -hmm. because I knew that I felt different. I knew that I was not as happy as I've been. I've never had experienced depression before this. I only have anxiety. So just I didn't know what that felt like in general. So it was a little different for me because I feel like someone who has struggled with depression in the past maybe could recognize some of those symptoms because they do share a lot of the same symptoms Um, but because I had never experienced that like it was coming out in a lot of different ways that they don't put in textbook oh this is postpartum depression Mm. oh you don't like your baby oh you Mm. feel suicidal and I wasn't feeling that way I was feeling the 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 guilt the shame I was angry for no reason I was getting really frustrated with my baby but I could still say I love her I love her so much. So then I was like, well, I still love her, so I don't think that's that. So after getting help, you know, I went to my therapist for quite a while. Um, I talked to her about, you know, what my biggest struggle, and I said, I was like, I feel like I don't have anyone to talk about this with about this because I don't think anyone around me has experienced this. And she said, well, I think that you'd be surprised. And so at that point, I was like, okay, if she's saying this, it must be true because she seems smart. (laughs) And there's something that I'm missing, and I don't want other people to feel the way that I'm feeling that I have no one to talk to. So I actually just put out a blog post. Um, I wrote a blog post. I put it on my Facebook, and it was just kind of saying, like, hey, I have postpartum depression, and this is what it feels like for me.
0: That's so brave. Wow.
2: And I I laid it all out. I made a couple, and it was just kind of – one was about this topic exactly, like how while postpartum depression is more talked about, it's not talked about on an individual level. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. I experienced this. Make sure you look out for it, and I'm here if you have it. You know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, And then the other one was just kind of like, this is my experience with it. This is what I'm really struggling with, and I am taking a step to talk about this with people because I can't hold it in anymore because it was making me more sad thinking that I was hiding this thing from all the people that loved me.
0: Why did you feel like you had to do that?
2: I think the biggest part is I felt like no one would understand what I was going through and because it's such it, it it really is taboo like when people think of postpartum depression a lot of times people think oh you hate your baby because of your mind of what you're going through and mm-hmm. that is what I thought people would think of me mm-hmm. if I said that and I and that wasn't true and even if it was like that it's the it's only because I have this mental illness that won't last forever, you know, and I didn't want people thinking that all of my times with my daughter were bad because they weren't.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And so I put out this post and I really had a huge outpour of support. And so many women that I talk to every day or I don't talk to every day were commenting, I struggled with that too. Thanks for reaching out. I had that too, it was so hard for me, or I'm dealing with this now, and I was, like, overwhelmed, and I actually, like, broke down in tears because why didn't you say anything? Right. That's how I was feeling. Oh, sorry. Oh,
1: it's okay. okay. I you was, can dry your eyes on one of my T-shirts. Thanks.
2: We are in a closet. <laughs>
1: no, we're in a recording studio. <laughs> um,
2: but I was, like, I've been going through this, and I've been – I have been trying to reach out to people and, like, spend time with people because that is how I cope with things. And no one said anything to me about their struggles with this, you know? And so at that point, I was like, I'm going to really take this as my opportunity to share this with people and make sure that everyone knows that this is a possibility and they're not alone in this journey. And so I just started texting my pregnant friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, hey, I have postpartum depression, and I just want to let you know it's a possibility, and I'm here.
1: You're so cool.
2: (laughs) And, I mean, people were really supportive. Some were like, okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in general, I did feel like I I did what I could to get it out there and just make sure that people know that it is so much more common than what people think, and it's a lot more than just being mad at your baby or being sad because Mm -hmm. sadness wasn't the ultimate feeling that I was having at all so that's why I didn't think that it was depression
0: I know that this has been definitely a learning experience for me because like when I think about postpartum depression I do think about those classic you know tv roles Mm -hmm. like just like pure sad like what you would see on those like billboards yeah um with the woman or person looking down and just like Very sulky. So I I really do appreciate your strength sharing that with us.
1: Thanks. Yeah, for real. And I think I'll definitely hold this with me forever because I hope to be a mom someday. And thanks. If I go through something. Yeah, I'm here for you. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And also like the this like brings us back to the idea of this podcast and you know, putting our stories out there so that other people can hear them and connect with them.
0: And it's interesting because knowing you a little bit more um, on a personal level, this is just one facet of your Mm -hmm. multifaceted life and, like, one part of your story. And you have 24 years of lived experience that, like, people still don't know about. Yeah. And that maybe no one is ever capable of knowing except for yourself. So thanks for sharing a glimpse of that.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but I also think it's really cool that at 24 you're able to feel such emotion about something that you went through and feel such a powerful thing after being brave and sharing, you know, your your struggles with your friends. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I think it's really special when we can become vulnerable and allow people to see that.
0: One piece to end on... Um would be, do you have anything that you would like to tell people who are wanting to get pregnant or people who are currently pregnant? Anything like a words of wisdom or?
2: Just be aware of what it really is, what postpartum depression really is and what it, you know, all the things that can be a part of that. You don't have to be, like you said, the sad person on the billboard. It can come in so many different ways. Um, but I think Also, just staying connected to those people who really love you and sharing any feelings that feel just different than who you were before. And that comes with the territory. I mean, you're finding your new identity as a mother.
0: Mm.
2: But you recognize, you can tell, I don't feel the same way that I did before and I don't feel like myself. Uh, And then lastly, just to all the loved ones in these people's lives because really I don't I don't think that I would have gotten help if my daughter's dad would have reached out for me. Hmm. And just the dads.
1: The dads in general?
2: Yeah, just making sure that you're recognizing all these things that...
1: Or the partners. Or the moms.
2: Or the moms, or, you know, just really... Whoever you're with. Paying attention. Yeah. Just pay attention to yourself and the person that you love.
1: I just want to mention that um, at the end of this podcast, we will post a phone number where if you are experiencing some depression around um, these issues that Becca's talking about, um, definitely feel free to call and and reach out to someone for help.
0: Of course. And to finally end on something else, (laughs) Um, I know I said a second ago that was going to be the ending, but I really want to stress that This is a storytelling podcast, and you did share a brief part of your story. And so we started at the beginning saying, what do you think people perceive you as? Mm -hmm. And do you have anything that you kind of hope people can perceive you as now, after this part, or just for future, or anything like that, that makes sense?
2: I think that what people perceive me as, if they are knowing me, on the surface,
0: mm. is
2: a lot different than beyond the surface. Plug, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just in the way that I am a pretty open person with the people that actually try to get to know me. So, to the people who don't, I don't care.
1: So you're not yeah. just the girl driving around her. Tiffany I'm not. Blue I'm not. Beetle. But I also. As the long as who is strong and vulnerable and perseverant yeah. and awesome and a mom and who has feelings <laughs> mm-hmm. and who cares about other people. Okay, yep. keep it going. We I got know. T- <laughs> I know. I like. <laughs> <love bugs>. <laughs> yeah. I love this. Yeah.
2: But I know. I know all of that about myself. And now to, that I'm at that point where I've you know conquered that postpartum depression. I am now the same person in my confidence level that I was before, where I know all those things about myself, and I want people to, you know, think that I'm friendly and I'm approachable, but more than that, I want people to know that it's okay if you don't think those things about me, because I know who I am, and that is more important than anything.